we gonna keep it natural. We gonna keep it natural. We nope. do keep it no natural. Way. I don't do no anything way. that's not coming off the top. Y'all know how this rolls. This is Black Girl from Eugene. We just out here doing our thing. Okay, yeah, that's what my tagline should be. I'm just out here doing my. Hashtag <laughs> doing my thing. That's what it should be, right? <laughs> so I'm gonna start hashtagging that with with Black Girl from mm-hmm. Eugene. Doing, doing my, my thing. thing. <laughs> well, Trey from Day in the Life Entertainment. Thank you for being with me. Um, all right, so we were going to talk about uh, this. We were first going to talk about bringing uh, the upbringing in hip hop. We were going to talk about the relationship of your project right now uh, with Lola. What's her last name? Uh, Buckwald. Buckwald. Lola Buckwald is an amazing artist, and uh, the project that y'all are doing in the community, we are talking about. Um, living black in a in a place proximity to whiteness and actually coming from outside of eugene coming up from outside of oregon you're from las vegas and trying to find roots here or trying to find connection and then realizing that you're going to have to create this and develop it and go into where you're at so we're going to just talk about you know a day in the life honestly right and how we how we got here and how we are sustaining um and it's it's a beautiful conversation to have on Mother's Day because, For sure. yeah, because it's that creation, it's that recreation, it's that, it's that um, making something out of nothing in a way, right? But at the same time, that nothing, like we were discussing before we start recording, is also ancestry. So I also want to say, just so y'all know, I am feeling my locks, y'all. I am feeling my locks. Oh, you yeah. feel me? Oh, you know. Shout yeah. out to the locks. You know, oh, hashtag right. with the locks. No. Yes, Trey is locked up. I'm locked up. So I just want to say Cassie Chambers and Happy Salon and Amber Hernandez. Amber did my color. Shout out Happy, yeah. Okay, Cassie did my twist and style. I am feeling myself. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right. Sorry. A little, I digressed. <laughs> I'm just... All good. No, it's all good. Yeah, man. You know what I mean? Show off your blackness, man. Show yeah. off your blackness. We got to be proud that we got these locks. You know what I'm saying? This, I mean... Ain't too many can get them like that. Ain't, ain't too many can get them like that. Can't do it. I know. You're, you're, your locks are looking fresh. That's all I'm saying. Like, we are looking like people don't understand it. I didn't understand it until I got with it, but it is a whole thing. Trust me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a, mm-hmm. How long have you been locked? Uh, so I have my dreadlocks um, going on uh, six and a half years now. Six and a half years? Yeah. Hey. yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I'm like one year, one month. One year, one You but Look at you, though. You got hang time. Look at you. You got hang time in here. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, you know, I started with mine was like little, little knots, you know, little, oh, kind of like little bamboo knots. I, okay. Yeah, they were like. And then, you know, from there, I went through, uh, we call it the ugly stages in, in, in the dread world, you know, when it was just little, little spigots, you know, what I'm saying? <laughs> just little spigots. And then from there, you know, I just, uh, I kept having them redone like every, every two, every two weeks. And then that, what, that's what made them grow a little bit faster. And then, uh, I started detoxing my hair, you know, apple cider vinegar, mm-hmm. um, cleaning my hair, you know, every, every month or so. And then it would just help them grow a lot faster. I think after my first year, Going into my second year, that's when it just started sprouting. That's what people keep telling me that this this second year I'm gonna start. So I I I cheated a little bit. I actually started with two strand twists. So my hair was like a little bit below my ear, like it was like above my shoulder, but not 
you know, it was like right at my shoulder probably. And then, mm -hmm. as you know, with the two strand, it shrunk because it started yep. to knot up. And then, yep. uh, and then it started to hang again. And so now it's like it's got some hang time because at, if I show pictures of my locks when it first happened, it was just two strands. And then all of a sudden it got like this and it was wide and big. It was beautiful. But then mm -hmm. it gets all of it. Like, it's insane how this knot process works. Like the knotting, yeah. like, I, I mean, they're, they're like these little knots you have at the end. They're like, don't cut those. That's the, it's gonna, nope. it has decided it's gonna do it. Like, okay. So yep. Like, yep, that's when you know your hair is spinning dread. It's, it's dreading. It needs to get nappy. It needs to, it needs to curl up and get nappy so that when you do retwist, re it'll grow a lot longer. A lot longer. And it's like your, your hair just has this, each lock has a journey of its own. It's, <laughs> Man, I try to tell people that they be like, "What you mean, man? Stop getting all philosophical with me." And I'm like, "No, man. Like the your dreads, each dread kind of got like its own journey through growth. It's you know what I mean? And it's a part of you. It's a they don't understand until you do it. It's this is a connection when you okay. and I would not have understood it. And it's like through all those stages, like you got to go through the stages because watching your hair do its thing yeah. and like transform into something so beautiful mm -hmm. and collect. It's like it is. It's um. It's some. It's some. I mean, it's For real. a beautiful thing. Um, okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna call you out because I remember we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Uh, we were talking about you coming onto the show, and it was hilarious because you were like, uh, "Did you have hip hop back in your day?" What did you say to me? You were like, "What?" Uh, <laughs> I was uh, like, I'm not that old. I'm not. She calling me out. I'm just like you know, because you know, so um. You know, I'm from Las Vegas, Nevada, like you said, you know. Um, so, you know, coming to Eugene, um, I remember the first day I got to Eugene was during Block Party. Mm -hmm. So um, when I got here, I was in the Whitaker part of town. So when I got here, I was exposed to bluegrass music. I was exposed to um, just the lifestyle in the Whitaker. So, you know, I really didn't see too many black people. I really didn't see too much of the vibe. So when I started hearing about, you know, there's black people who are from Eugene, you know, and and, and I'm just like, OK, OK, you know, and I'm, and I'm like thinking to myself, like, you know, you know, how was the upbringing? Like, you know, uh, how how did you know, did you go to the bars? Did they did they have any like little, you know, solidified clubs that y'all went to? Because in Vegas, you know, you kind of got your different clubs that you go to that kind of like, you know, play hip hop music. Um, play EDM music or play country, you know what I'm saying? You got your different uh, nightclubs and your different bars that kind of um, appease to different races. And I'm not trying to say like it's it's clubs that only only want black people or only want white people or only want this type of demographic, but it's just like you can tell by the environment like, oh, okay, right. this is more of a hip-hop, hip-hop, you know, club. Mm -hmm. When I got here, it was just like, you know, I went to some of the house parties and I was like, you know, you see somebody playing a washboard or with the bucket and I was just like oh you know it threw me off I was just like I was just like oh okay cool you know it was a, it was a culture shock you know it was a culture shock so you know when I meet people from Eugene and uh, you know black people from Eugene I'm just like you know how was it you know especially the uh the older generation I'm like you know did y'all did y'all create parties did y'all have a club that y'all used to go through and what did I say I was like it was 50 you were, cent you were like you're like oh was hip hop did you what? What did you say? You were like, did you have hip hop back in there? Like, did, what what kind of hip hop? And I'm like, dang, I look like I'm 105 years old. I'm like, of course I had hip hop. All right, one DMC was like 
older than me. Like I, you know, I was like, I learned, you know, who came out in my day was like, you know, ghetto boys. Like that was my, you know, uh, who am I thinking about? Uh, uh, don't pop that bro. No, 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 no. Okay. No, Tootsie Roll, that was like, that was college, right? I'm trying to think of when I was like younger, younger. I'm trying to think of oh, NWA. Okay, okay. Like that was my, that's my generation yeah. of hip hop. Like, you know, Run, Run DMC was a little older than me. But um, uh, why could I think of, why could I think of who it is? Um, it's Jazzy J and the Fresh Prince. Nah, that, why are you do? why are you tripping? Like, I, I swear to God. <laughs> NWA and and Will's Fresh Prince does not in this is not at the same. It ain't time. even the same book, man. No, it ain't even at the same time. Like, I'm trying to think who who. Why can't I think of him right now? Uh, DJ Quick. Oh my God, that DJ Quick. You know. Oh yeah, DJ uh, Quick. Yeah, DJ Quick. The Ghetto Boys. That's what I was listening listening to in middle school. That was my hip hop, right? So art. So Run DMC was older than that. But like the origins of hip hop was around how how I grew up, you know, the, uh, the folks earlier than that. And I'm trying to think of, uh, um, dang, I'm trying to think of all these different names. But because my brothers and sisters were listening to, you know, uh, the oh god, what's it? What was his? Dang, I'm having a hard time. He is very dark, Afrocentric. Um, dang, I think he recently passed away. Now it's, it is making that feel old. Um, dang, I can't think of it. I kind of think it starts with a K. I need to start. I'm terrible with names. Look, I will meet you 55 times, look at you in your face, and not know who your what your name is. But um, so trying to remember, trying to remember like artists that that is like uh-huh. it's beyond me. But um, dang, I almost had it. It starts with a K. I gotta think about this anyway. So there is some. There is some definitely some hip hop that I grew up with that was like the original hip hop. Where, right. You know, I mean, when I was in college, it was like high school was like Tupac and Biggie, right? Like that was, right, right. you know, so it ain't like I, it wasn't, you know, I, <laughs> I don't know what I'm trying to say. I'm not that like, old. Like, bro, we, we, she, she like, bro, we ain't dinosaurs out here. You know what I'm saying? We, we know. Like, you know, Tupac was in my day. Like I mourned him for real when he died. Like I saw the videos in real time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that's what my, that's my folks. Okay. So, hey, when she called me out on that, she's like, look, I ain't, I ain't forget about what you said. Look, I man. <laughs> I had that pin for the top, okay? So, like, oh, you don't think we know about hip-hop, man? We seen all that. Tupac, Biggie, all that. What you mean? What you mean? <laughs> right? I was like, Shoot. You got us messed out out here in DJ. Don't be saying that, Trey. <laughs> I was, okay, but to be, to your point, though, I am raised, and this is why I chose that name, Black Girl, from Eugene. It's interesting though because it's different. I'm not. I'm not the typical from Eugene, and I say not typical because, um, and you know, y'all can at me because I'm here for it. But the truth of it is, is that my I have two black parents that are from the Midwest, from St. Louis. So, oh, okay. what was so, yeah. what was going on in my house was St. Louis, right? Yes. So it didn't. It wasn't about like. Eugene, it was like, I was like, I always tell people I'm bicultural because I had white culture and I had St. Louis, I had black culture and it wasn't compromised in the middle. It was very much like at home, this is what home requires at school. This is what school requires. Right. And so black culture and black consciousness, 
not only were my parents from St. Louis, but my dad's like a, he's a philosopher and he studies, mm-hmm. you know, Africology. Like he studies uh, ancient Egypt, right? So mm-hmm. we had a sense of, of blackness from a deeper perspective of just what post slavery. We had a perspective of, of post I mean, pre religion, right? So we were, right. we had that philosophy constantly um, kind of given to us. Jazz was played, you know, Sonny Rollins, John Coltrane was played in our house. Shout all out, the shout time, out, yes. Right? Yes. So it was like, you know, um, uh, African everything, you know, black everything. We were, that's what was centered in my home. And that's what it was. Like, it, we, we weren't bringing any of this white idealistic shit into the house. And when we did, it was like, what you, we, this is, we, you are at home, right? Yeah, go right? Go we got a different connection, right? Like, you know, understand what you, who, you, who and what you're talking to. Like this respect was there. So the, so the, the pillars of black culture were strong in my family. Like there was no question about blackness for me. Right. And, uh, I, I went to St. Louis as a child, you know, we traveled, lived in Florida. Uh, so brown culture, black culture was not foreign. Um, and I didn't have to acquiesce to it. I didn't have to learn about it. I didn't have to figure out where I fit in in it. Um, it was who I am. That is different than the average black person that is from Eugene, right? And I'm saying average, I realize it's generalized. But the way that I grew up and how black culture and blackness, consciousness came to me was not, it was how we were raised. Oh, I just lost Trey. And I'm not sure why. Okay, let's see what's going on here. Trey's coming back. I'm back in. I don't know what happened right there. We took a, a brief pause and now we're back. Okay, and now we're back. Okay, so you hear what I'm saying, right? So you yeah. you were looking for black consciousness is what, what I'm hearing. I don't know what your life was like in Las Vegas, but you were looking for the community. Right, right. So when I first got here, um, I was actually brought here by um, a woman who's uh, a part of the Latinx. She's Hispanic. And, um, you know, my mom and her mom, they, they were real good friends. And, you know, so I was always around the background of, um, you know, people of color, BIPOC and stuff like that. So there was like a lot of culture that was built around my household and in my area in Las Vegas. Like, you know, I was always exposed to different race people, uh, you know, different cultures and different races of people. You know, I had white friends, black friends, Asians, Hispanic. It didn't matter. I had, I had all different types of friends. So, you know, moving, uh, moving to Eugene, it was, it, I was just culture shocked because, um, I've never been in a, a community where the majority of people are Caucasian. You know, um, I've, I've never been in communities where, uh, bluegrass was played and, you know, so it was kind of, it was kind of just like, it was just different for me. And so when I was like starting to like, you know, meet black people who are from here, people who, uh, who are like me, black transplants, you know, coming from different places and being here, you know, it was just like, you know, I was very curious and like upbringings and, you know, how were they, how were they raised and, you know, understand it. Right. You know, because, you know, for me, like I said, I was always around culture. So, you know, when I, when meeting somebody who is uh, black and they're from Eugene, but they have like kind of like, I wouldn't say like a white upbringing, but they don't have a lot of the um, the black philosophies and the black, um, you know, background. Yeah. Yeah. They, they kind of have the upbringing from white culture. Mm-hmm. And um, some of it is 
because it, you know this doesn't take away from these people, but some of it is because they're um they're adopted. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Uh, some 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 black people who are out here they're adopted, so I can understand that, and I and, and I'm not trying to take away from that. Right. So you know, I just I think my first year I was just very curious. Every black person I would see, I would say, "What's up? How you doing? Where you from?" You know, what's going on with you? You know what I'm saying? Because I was very much curious because there were some black people who I met who were from different places and they were like, okay, yeah, this is a, a place for me to kind of, um, you know, change myself. This is a place where um, in my hometown, it was fast paced. It was always like, you know, moving fast. And Eugene is very kind of slow. It's kind of slowed down. So for them, they were like, you know, I'm benefiting from Eugene because it's having me slow down where I come from and being able to understand who I am as a person and where I want to be in my future. Right. So that, that right there, that always, that, that always just sparked up my curiosity to like, you know, how are people like, you know, black people in Eugene, like how, how are they growing up? How, how is your upbringing? How are, how are things, um, you know, generated for you out here? So, mm-hmm. you know, just like what you said from two weeks ago, when I, when I was talking to you and I was like, you know, how was it for you, you know, growing up with hip hop, you know what I'm saying? Like, and you took looking at me like, no, we had DJ Quick and, you know, Tupac and Biggie. And I'm just like, oh, you know what I'm saying? Because right. it's like, and, I, and I, I I don't want to say like every time it's like a culture shock. But yeah, you know what I'm saying? I'm always coming up and asking these questions where a person would be like, don't you know? Right. Like, right. <laughs> you know? So, you know what I mean? I think I think for me, it was just like, you know, coming to Eugene um, being absorbed in the uh, block party, which is cool. I, I like block party. I like going it for the last two years that we did have it before COVID. Mm-hmm. I like block party. You learn a lot from block party. You learn about the people that's in block party, especially from the local businesses and things of that nature. You learn a lot from it. Mm-hmm. Um, so from there, it was just like, you know, I went to LCC. Um, I got, I got, uh, I got myself into the Black Student Union. I worked my way up from being a secretary all the way to the president of the Black Student Union. And, um, I kind of made it a, I kind of made it a point to kind of gather up all the black people. I kind of made it a point for me to understand, uh, a lot of the black people in the community so that we can be able to connect with each other and learn like, okay, there are some black people from Eugene. There are some black people who are coming from different places, but that doesn't matter about your upbringing. Let's be able to come together at this point, at this time right now, so that we can be able to work for a common goal. And that's what I always liked about, um, just like the culture, uh, uh, the culture surrounding around, around black people in Eugene. It's because it kind of forces us to reach out. It kind of forces us to say, Hey, how you doing? What's going on? Because there's not too many of us. I so think- it, I think with what I don't mean to interrupt you, but I think with what you're saying, it's interesting because mm-hmm. when it's interesting because I see I hear both sides of this where black folks who are from here feel like it's hard to connect to black people who aren't from here that that don't actually have high um, high uh, the white culture is not prevalent in their life right it's not how they relate mm-hmm. they relate in black culture and so black folks who are culturally white um, have a hesitant to hesitancy to connect with black folks who are culturally black and black folks who are culturally black ha- don't know how to relate to, to black folks who are culturally white. Right. And right. then um, there seems to be something, but what I noticed, like what you're saying, when you come in and you're like, look, there ain't that many black folks together. We need to, no matter who it is, no matter where you come from, let's kick it because no matter what, we're black, right? But that, reality, I 
think is coming from the idea that you know what it means to have a black community. So it's like you're still looking for that black community. And then when we bring in the black community and we create one from what we have here, it's not the same as what you came from. It's not Mm -hmm. the same as where the folks that you're collecting from here come together. It looks different. And I think in that space is where it's where we have a hard time um, keeping that adhesiveness and and Mm -hmm. growing um, and growing because there's these expectations that I don't think we say out loud. And the fact that black folks here who have white culture are insulted by the fact that people say that and not understand right. that that's not an insult. It's a reality of how you grew up, right? right. So that's where, that's how you showed up. You show up as a black person here and a white person inside. I'm not taking anything from you. I'm just saying the reason why we don't, I'm not, we're not speaking the we same language is because I'm coming at you from a black culture. They're coming at you from a white culture. And, and we're like, what do you mean by that? And if now we can't right. say, hey, look, I'm here because I want to build black community whatever that black community looks like shoot whatever if it means we got white culture mixed in it we got black folks who are latinx culture they come in bringing latin culture okay we got black folks with black culture they're bringing and then our black community in eugene looks multicultural right Mm -hmm. because of all of the not the ethnic groups but the cultural understanding is different here so the black yep. community here isn't going to look like a black community that some of us recognize from other places that we've been. The black community in, in St. Louis does not look like the black community in Texas, which is the two places that I lived. Uh, you know, not I didn't live in St. Louis, but the time that I my family's from St. Louis. So spending time right. back and forth and then having Texas is where I, I did live years in in the south. That's the north and the south or Midwest and the south. Those are two different black communities. That's two different communities for sure. For sure, <laughs> right? But the but the black consciousness is the yeah. same. We're not it's still there. It's still there. It's still there. It's still here, there. Here is what where it's like we have to connect differently to the black community here because mm-hmm. it's not the same. It's not what mm-hmm. we're used to looking for. And I think that culture shock is what people have a hard time um uh, getting onto ground level with each other yep. because like you said you were very careful to be like I don't it doesn't take nothing from you because you had to asterisk that because the yep. conversation is so sensitive for black folks here because the identity to blackness isn't centered so they're like working on it right but that doesn't mean, if I recognize you're working on it doesn't mean it takes away your takes away from who I think you are right, right. to me you still black to me right like if you whether you're convincing you yourself or other people or whatever i see you as and a i'm black. asking you to go out to coffee right like real that, talk like that's it that's, just, that's <laughs> so, just how you look you know what i mean i mean yep. but lived experience is is worth more than anything in gold right like, yeah it's any anything you want to talk about lived experience is worth more than in gold so i i i think it takes a lot of love and a lot of compassion, but a lot of like critical thinking to look at where you are. You yes. moved in here from Las Vegas. You didn't even move in from a black culture. You moved in from a multicultural perspective, right? And I don't know what your family life is, yeah. but your your actual cultural reference is multicultural, as is mine. Although my family is super black, right? Yes. Like in terms of history and in terms of, of mindset and critical thinking and pedagogy, yes. But we also lived in, my parents lived in Central America for 28 years. 
So, oh, so yeah, you know, that's that's culture right there. That's two. That's a culture right there. Twenty eight <laughs> years of of me and going back and forth to Costa Rica and my parents right. in Costa Rica, Spanish Catholicism. All of those things have been in my life, in my family's life. Right? This is multiculturalism. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, and, and black. What I'm trying to say is blackness is not a monolith. We are dynamic. Mm-hmm. We are dynamic. Hey, I like how you say that. I like how you say that. We are very dynamic. And that goes back to what we were talking about. But like, you know, certain things that we get, get ourselves into, it might, at first, it might just look like, you know, something that's standard, you know, something that's just straightforward. But once we like take ownership of whatever that is, it starts to become this dynamic thing. And I just like, that's just black greatness right there. We don't, we don't just take something and just leave it that one thing. We make it as dynamic as possible so that everybody can understand what that is. And so it doesn't be like something where it's like secluded. It's just, it's just being like, okay, this is something that we have a knack for, but we're not going to just leave it for just us. We're going to make it dynamic so that everybody else and all these other cultures can be able to understand it. And I think that's just like, that's just the black gift that we have. We're yeah. dynamic. We're not, we're not, we're not just one way. We're able to, you know, be, be uh, absorbed by different cultures and know that, you know, we're able to be able to be understood by each and every way that we present ourselves. And I think it's interesting to, to continue on that because the idea is like that, the diaspora, right? Um, but right. I don't like to really think about the diaspora in that way, because if you think about the, the diaspora of African bodies, it, it goes into colonization. It goes into this kind of trauma. But that, what, what you're saying goes right along with it. We're in every every piece of this earth. There's black folks there. But if you go I mean, back to the continent, there's 50 state, there's 50 countries in the continent of Africa. So in itself, right, from the yep. origins of civilization, right, th- it's yep. already dynamic. You go. I, yep. I tell people in my. I do. Uh, you know, race and uh, race and inclusion education. And I tell people, where do you think when you think of diversity? Where do you think the most diverse place in the world is? Right. And so when you Google it, it's it's always a country in Africa. It's always a country in Africa. Yep. So when you talk about diversity, when you talk to white folks, yep. you think about different color faces, right? But when you talk about diversity, right. you're talking about the ability to reach other people. You know, the average person in Africa speaks six languages. So this is when you're talking about multiculturalism. Fluent. We're not talking about just, oh, I know a little bit. We're talking about fluent. Fluent. Six so languages. When you're talking about multiculturalism, that's right. black. Like, this is what right. we do, right? It's yeah. like, how do you not see each other in each other? Greatness is that we are connected in multiple ways, when left alone, when left un, you know, when when left to our own uh, devices, this is what we are naturally is yes. to, is to connect, right? That's what we do. It's relationships is what Black folks do. We connect, and so right. so um, so yeah. So anyway, that I think that goes to the point where naturally you come into Oregon, you come into Eugene, and you're like, "Where's the connection? I'm trying to connect. Like let's." Let's build something. What's going on? Right. So that, yeah. so that, that is that what led you to creating the Day in the Life Entertainment? Because I know you start, you came in from Las Vegas, and Day in the Life came in, in what, 2019? Yes, so June of 2019, that's when Day in the Life uh, was created. Um, so I would say my last year of uh, LCC, um, I was um, about... 
three to four months before graduating. And um, I was just like, I call it like a scramble mode because I didn't know what I really wanted to do when I got out of college. Right. Um, of course, you know, I graduated with the English and literature degree, but still, you know, that's not going to necessarily pay the bills when, you know, we were creeping up in, into a COVID and all of these different things. Um, but prior, I was just like, you know, I need to be able to have some type of side hustle, some type of way to, for me to um, gain revenue that's mm -hmm. outside of my nine to five. And so from there, I kind of just thought to myself, like, you know, I like I like fashion. I like music. Um, I like culture, you know, mm -hmm. and how can I be able to incorporate those things with my um, my expertise, which is like communication, you know, public speaking and these different types of things that I'm very much good at from uh, going to college and going to school and studying it. Um, that's where Day in the Life Entertainment was born. That's where. I felt like, you know, how can I be able to create opportunities not only for myself, but for people that I surround myself with, whether that be uh, painters, musicians, uh, dancers, you know, whatever the case may be. And so, um, you know, leading out outside of uh, college, um, I wanted to be able to um, use my experience with event planning. So through the BSU, um, we were able to put on a lot of different events in the community to let people know about our blackness, to be unapologetic about our blackness in a community where, like how you said, I was having to look for the culture. I was having to look for, you know, my people. And so through the BSU, I was able to kind of grasp the, um, the experience of just doing event planning, bringing people who don't come from that um, that culture, that that type of upbringing, and being able to have them feel comfortable in that type of setting, you know. And right. from there, that's where you know I was like, you know, it's crazy when you have somebody who's from a different culture gravitate, you know, to somebody that's coming from a different place. You know what I'm saying? They come from a different background, a different lifestyle, and that person is like, man, you know. And you you see them, you know, conversating or whatever. And it was just like, you know, that what gave me that spark in my eye to keep going with what I was doing, because I've seen, um, you know, this is just from experience. Um, I seen somebody who was white go up to somebody who was black and I booked this person who was black to a show. And the um, the white the white person was like, hey, you know, I really want to get to know this dude a little bit more. I like his music. You know what I'm saying? I want to I want to like kind of like, you know, let me let me meet him. And it was just so cool because it was somebody from the community and the person I brought out, he was from California. And so, you know, um, when he was like, hey, can I go talk to him? It was kind of like, you know, let me let me go backstage and talk to the artist. And then when I brought him back there, the conversation they had, it was just so crazy because it wasn't about just music. It was about like, you know, experiences, the songs that he was playing during that experience of the show. He was like, you know, where did where, where did you get that um, that time to think about what you were going through or how did you go through that experience in your life? And, you know, it was just great to see that they were connecting, not just from a music standpoint, but from a reality standpoint. Like, you know, I feel where you're coming from when you were saying that on stage. Like, how did you go through that? Because I'm going through that right now. And that right there, it was like it was just crazy to me to see that. And that's where I was like, you know, I was finding more of my niche. And to, to doing more shows and being able to promote more um, black artists, not just black artists, but artists in general, because, you know, you get more from when somebody puts their art out. You, you not only uh, get the entertainment portion of it, but you also get the learning, the learning experience, because you got so many different people around in one setting that you can learn from and get to know and stuff like that. And you learn more about your community in that way. And right. so uh, Day in the Life Entertainment is event planning, talent scout promotion, uh, management, and entertainment coordination. 
And, um, you know, I solely uh, contribute my efforts and abilities to BIPOC people, but I also, you know, be able to help um, people who are white, who come from backgrounds where they didn't have a lot of support, you know, and that's another thing, like growing up in Las Vegas, um, a lot of my friends that were white, you know, they, they didn't come from the suburbs and stuff like that. You know, they, they apartments was across the street from mine and, mm-hmm. you know, it's predominantly black, but they white and they go into the same high schools I'm going to. And, you know, they got some of the same things that I'm into and stuff like that. So, you know, just being able to be a resource for these types of people who come from those backgrounds. And you'll know, you know, as soon as you meet these type of people, you'll know that they come from different backgrounds because, you know, they'll be they'll be talking about experiences that maybe you went through, but from the black perspective. Right, right. So, yeah, that's see, it's because it's interesting that people it's you know, I like I said, I talk about racism on a daily basis for the work that I do in one of those things about it is that is as if black people um, aren't connected to everyday life like white people are. That That's something that comes up in the conversations. Not that I'm saying it, but the people I'm working with are saying that they talk about black people like it's over there, right? Like it's though over there, black people are doing this thing, right? Um, and so it's not where it's like in conjunction to anything that, that daily life happens to be with and that, you know, with white people, right? That we are just like this. Like we are hand in hand living our lives the same. I mean, you know, get up in the morning, go sleep at night, have crushes, have, you know, have concerns, have love, have joy. Um, And so I think it's interesting that when we were talking about that experience and we were saying um, uh, before we came on, like we were talking about being able to create space like this in a place where we're trying to have that connection where we're trying to have um uh create a safe space for BIPOC people and at the same time include white folks who are not trying to take from the space right but that who can bring into the space right and who are who right. are true allies and who aren't there for you know a friend of mine who was a white man he used to tell me uh um that people like to bask in my bask in our personalities right <laughs> and yep, he, yep. yeah, and he and I, he was a white dude, and we were we were like very close friends for a really long time. We just kind of like you know how, how seasons go, right? So we yep. kind of faded off. But he and I were such good friends; like we would talk on a daily basis, and um, and we both are very similar. Where we kind of move fast, we talk fast. We've got we our personalities are kind of snap, 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 and so. We, we'd be like people you know you gotta decide and, and understand who's basking in your personality or who's actually like there for you so with white right. folks who want to hang around black folks especially in the entertainment world in the art world and i'm saying especially because there we talked about the magic of black people in entertainment right we talked about the magic of black people being right. able to recreate lived experience that could be traumatic or could be beautiful into into legacies of art for this country, legacies of art for this world, right? Um, and so, right. so having white folks come in and and be a part of that, and still giving black and brown folks the leadership in it or the space to be themselves is a complicated trick, especially up in the North Pacific Northwest, when blackness and brownness and indigenousness. It's very appropriate. It's very sucked in, and there's very few of us to represent. So the few of us that are here are exhausted, right, from the BIPOC folks. So they're like, eh, we'll do this and we'll do that, but, you know, 
the only people who show up are, are white folks anyway. Like, how are we going? How are we creating this space? Right. How, so it becomes where where we get tired, right? But right. then there's those of us that are like, you know what? If it's just me that shows up every Sunday, and I talk to you know Facebook Live, and I talk to my podcast people, and it's just me, I'm gonna show up every Sunday. And though, so it kind of goes into this uh, this project that you're doing because people, we were talking about having Lola, who is a white woman, on my show, and I was like, I don't know Lola, right? But everyone was like, and I say everyone because we talk, not just you, but another person who I was talking to was like, oh yeah, Lola's going to do a mural. And um, they, it, she's a, a phenomenal artist. Like Lola is a phenomenal. Shout out Lola Buckler. Yes, yes. Yes. She is a phenomenal artist. So, um, but, so the interesting thing about this, and this is how respect in this, in this, uh, um, complicated dynamics but when you're comfortable with speaking about race and you're comfortable yep. being an ally you will understand it so if i am create if i've created a space for bipoc people now i said i don't know lola right meaning that lola and i don't have a relationship and this is what i want to explain to people lola and i don't have a relationship um my black girl from eugene why low and we're going to talk about the project and i'm excited um I w- we didn't have her on the show. I said she could come on the show with you, but by herself, I don't have her on the show because I don't know her. We are not in a re- we're not in relationship, and what what that means for white folks to be in this BIPOC space. Now let me explain what that means so people who can understand it. Now, if it's a white person who everyone's telling me, oh she's cool, she's cool, she's cool. I'm sure she is cool. I don't have a relationship with her, and which what that means is that. With that relationship, or with not without having that relationship, um, while I'm in my BIPOC space, a black girl from Eugene, I am at that time having to regulate what she knows and how she knows to function in a space with me, which means I'm having to work and I'm having to acquiesce to her. Now, people be like, oh, you don't have to worry about it. I don't know her. So I will worry about it, right? Because the relationship is right. everything to the comfortability, right? Right. right? So in my space of a BIPOC space that I created for BIPOC people to say and do what they feel without the without the, the filter of white people, down white people or not, they, they won't be here, right? And so the few right. white folks that I've had on my show, and there has been a few, um, there I have relationship with, um, and I know that what I can say whatever I want to say, and I don't mm-hmm. have to, I don't have to asterisk my feelings or asterisk my words because they're there. They are with. We have relationship. There's been one person on this show that I don't know who is white. Two people, and they were with Lane County Public Health, and they were with other people of color um, because they were professionals in the field that were talking to me about information. So it wasn't like we were going to be, it wasn't a, the same space, right? I create black girl from Eugene created right. space right. to about, about for Lane, Lane public health. Um, and they were, like I said, experts. And so, um, and both of them, I, I'm going to say more so, you know, the last man that was on with the group of black women and Latinx women, uh, the, the last person who was on, he had been doing so much work to get himself into a space where he recognized where he was and could act accordingly based on relationship. That's a high level of understanding that I can appreciate. 
So there was no yeah. love loss for Lola at all. But what that and why Lola is not coming on by herself is because this is a black and brown space that I have created so that we can be unapologetic and not responsible for white folks and how they feel about what we're saying, right? So this is a space for us to do with us. But in the same breath, I want to say Lola is an amazing artist and I would love to get to know her and get to and like talk to her more and build relationship so we can talk about the fantastic stuff she's doing. So I want to actually throw this over to you so we can talk about the project, which I'm a part of, which is amazing. So yeah. I still haven't even got to talk to Lola like for real. But anyway, so I I'm gonna throw it over so you can talk about the project. I just want people to understand that, you know, if Lola's doing this project, why she didn't come a black girl from Eugene, which might be a con- which might be a conversation, which might not be. But I wanted to give that out to other white folks who are listening. People P- DM me all right. the time. Can I get on your show? I would love to talk about this and that. If you're white and I don't have a relationship with you, you're not coming right. on the show. Right. It, the whole purpose of this show is for black folks and indigenous people and people of color um, to talk about it without filter, right? And white folks mm-hmm. to listen. Right. right? And white folks to listen without interjection, right? That's the whole purpose. I mean, it's, and, and every time we come here, we're like, Woo! That felt good. All right. See you next week. I'm like, oh, dang, you're coming back? They're like, yes. You know, I mean, most of my guests are like, yes, this was, this felt good. It feels good. That's right. It feels good. It feels good. So tell me about the project. Tell the people about the project so we can, uh, so people can get excited and know about it. I'm excited. Okay. So Dana Life Entertainment, LCC, I mean, LLC presents Lola Buckwall with painting the beat and it's uh it's a uh, it's an experience where we allow different uh representatives or artists in the community to be highlighted along with lola with her portraits and uh, because he's a self-taught painter she's and so yes yeah, she's a self-taught painter yeah damn she is so yeah. good oh wow i did yeah. not know okay sorry yeah. Interruption. Dang. Okay. <laughs> no you're good you're good um so the first series of painting the beat was um, with uh, local artists in the community of Eugene. And we really just wanted to um, kind of create a, a project where we could show off her paintings, but also be able to highlight local artists in the community. Um, I have a big, I have a big, big um, problem with um, local artists and independent artists not being able to get credit where credit is due. Mm. Um, so we wanted to kind of incorporate her works with those people. And so, um, you know, shout out to Julian Outlaw, shout out to Amia Nectar, uh, shout out mm-hmm. to uh, M5 Vibe, Marcus Holloway. Yes. I know you had him on your show. Yes. Um, you know, shout out to Chosen, you know, shout out to everybody that was involved for uh, the season one of Painting the Beat because they were all independent artists, they're all local artists. You can follow them on Instagram, you know, you can go uh, subscribe to their YouTube channels and everything like that so that you can learn more about those people. Um, Because like I said, those types of people, they don't get credit where credit is due, uh, especially from um, um, certain venues out here, you know what I'm saying, with the pay and everything like that, you know. Oh. So I wanted to be able to represent them, uh, represent them in a respectful space. Um, now, uh, leading to where we're at right now, 
Um, we're on the second series of uh, painting the beat with Lola Buckwall, where we're going to be highlighting um, representatives in the community that have paved the way, like yourself, Aisha Elliott. Uh, I strongly feel that um, what you're doing with a uh, black girl from Eugene is being able to highlight yourself, but not only yourself, but other uh, BIPOC people who are um, contributors in the community where black people and other people could be able to feel comfortable and not have to be un- like you don't have to apologize for being able to be yourself. You know what I'm saying? And so um, we're going to be highlighting um, people like Michael Kay, yourself, Eric Richardson, uh, Vanessa Fuller. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, Vanessa, hit me back when you get a chance. Vanessa, hit me back. Um, but, you know, we're trying to highlight people in the community who have different things going on where it's not just all about themselves. They're trying to be able to have these outlets so that people can understand the black experience. But not only that be able to understand who's in your community, who's up the bike, who's BIPOC, you know, so that with them and understand, you know, who they are and where they coming from. Because like how you said, I'm from Las Vegas, Nevada. There might be somebody who's black and was, might want to learn about Las Vegas and learn about my experience and stuff like that. So, you know, people who create spaces like this one, we want to be able to highlight you so that people in the community understand that this person is worth, they're of value. Right. And they need to be valued more in their community. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, Peyton the Beat with Lola Buckwall, um, you know, series Peyton, uh, Paving the Way will be uh, highlighting local um, um, people who are paved the way for a lot of people like myself, you know, coming from somewhere else. And we're just trying to be able to gain sponsorship and fundraising because the first series of Paint the Beat, it was out of our own pocket. Um, we spent a lot of our own resources on getting it going. Uh, now, um, it's crazy that you said it, but we have Happy uh, along with us, you know, as a sponsorship. Um, we also have Studio 541 Productions as a sponsorship. We have Positive Energy Only as a sponsorship. We have uh, Mo Love Movement as a sponsorship. And so we're just trying to offer the uh, opportunity for local businesses in town and people, if they would like to be a sponsor, you know, be invited to the reveal parties that we'll be having for each of the uh, representatives in the community. So each person will get their own reveal party. I'm going to talk to you about that off screen. Okay. Um, um, but um we're going to be uh, having different things to where people can uh, be a, f- a fundraise or uh, be a part of the sponsorship. So you will be seeing a lot more. And you can also go to uh, Dan and Life Entertainment LLC uh, on um, uh, Facebook uh, and also go on Dan and Life Entertainment on Instagram to uh, find out more information on this. I, I think that people, you don't have to be from Eugene or Oregon to support this movement. So people who are listening Not at to all. This, yeah, podcast. Um, you might want to check out Day in the Life Entertainment, Eugene, Oregon, and see how you can sponsor it. Because as you've heard throughout this conversation, creating a, a safe space for black and brown people is something that is not only needed, but something that is really self-supported, right? We right. Having funding, getting paid the worth that these folks are worth, I mean, getting paid our worth is complicated here. Um, You know, we live in a city of Eugene that, you know, there's so much privilege that volunteership is like the common trade. And that is. uh, And so when we're asking for money to be paid for what we're doing, it's almost like we have to start having a a conversation about value and then then privilege and then racism and then all this stuff just to say, you need to pay me this money because this is what it's worth. This is what it costs. Um, privilege is not 
privilege to do to live the way they all live is not given to us, right? And it's not recognized because most people around here, you know, don't see color and shit. So, like, <laughs> so we have we have to like work on that, right? And so we gotta work on what it means to be paid as an artist. And yeah. uh, you know, and Lola, you know, doing the work that she's doing, even though she's white, I guarantee you, it's hard because of what she's doing to get paid the worth of what she, the get paid the worth that she's that she is worth. So, it, it, it's very interesting. People don't see these commonalities of like, of you know, of this idea of like you know that Eugene culture of like oh just volunteer and like you know it'll be fine, right? It's just not, a, mm-hmm. it's, it's okay when it's your kid's garden. You know what I mean? It's okay right. when it's your, like, uh, you know, when you guys are, are building, you know, a, a, I don't know. I don't know. There's, there's right. ways that it can be okay. And there's other ways where volunteership is not okay. And it's not okay to ask black and brown folks to give their day and time and their, and their uh, talents um, for, for free or, and or for what you think it's worth, right? They're, they are going to give you what they're worth. Yes. And that's then that's that should be the norm. Um, you know, back in uh, I want to say 2019, that was a big problem for a lot of the artists that I was supporting. Um, you know, I would get them booked at local show. I'm not pointing any of these venues out by name, no, but yeah. uh, some of these venues, yeah, some of these venues out here, um, you know, that I book, I, I book some of the artists too for shows. You know, they were coming back to us and letting us know, like, you know, this is the bare minimum, and we're like, wait a minute, you got a, you got a band that you got for the opening act and, and, and they're getting paid more than the, the main event act. Like that doesn't make any sense. Like, you know, this person is, is on the ground level. This person is, has built this audience and they're going to be bringing it to your venue. So you better pay them respectfully yeah. just because the person that you got, that's a part of a band is Caucasian. That doesn't mean that this one black man can be able to uh, get the same amount of uh, audience or, or, or impact than these five Caucasians on the stage. And that's not like I'm not trying to create the separation between bands and and, and, and hip hop or, or, or black artists, but it's just the respect. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I understand that Eugene is a place where not a lot of hip hop in terms of uh, artists coming in and doing shows. There's a lot of artists. Who, uh, there's a lot of hip hop and black artists that do come here, but not more, not more than bands. There's a lot more bands, EDM. There's a lot more, you know, the dubstep and stuff like that. Like there's a lot more of that attention. That's coming here and they get paid the top dollar. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like they get, they get, they get the top. But, but when, you know, I'm a, uh, I'm a local entertainment company and I'm working with independent artists and local artists, you know, all you can do is the bare minimum. In 2019, I made that a point not to let that happen and going into 2020 into 2021 is to, we're not going for bare minimum. We set the standard and we also provide proof of that standard so that these venues and people in the community understand that we are of value. Right. It's interesting because this community doesn't recognize that, that, um, that trigger, that trigger, um, space when it comes to hip hop, thinking that they, that race, that literally their racist, um, uh, deduction of hip hop is that, Oh, it's black. It's the, and really, the, the people who buy hip-hop the most are white teenagers. <laughs> white people! Come on now! Yo, people bam our stuff. Oh, they, they jam our stuff. Right. I mean, come on now. Right. Like, when you look at the... If you look at it, I mean, of course, black people going to support the black artists. But, you know, in some in some cases, there's more there's more white people supporting the black artists 
them black people supporting the artists. The thing is, is that they're talking about hip hop because oh, it's a black thing because it's a black artist who's creating the music. But the truth is, when you're talking about money and you're talking about venues and you're talking about uh, bringing people to your spot, white folks are buying black music. So if you're living oh, in Eugene and you want folks to come, hip hop will bring the crowd. You see what I'm saying? Because that's who's buying it, right? And so it's racist. When you just go, oh, hip hop is for black people. We don't even have no black people or, here. Or so why would we... Right, and so why would we? Why would we even have you here? You know, we're, we're not. That's a, that's what they're saying. But the idea of like, you know, we're not going to pay you a bunch of money because there's not a lot of hip hop. There's not a lot of black people here. Well, guess what? Right. When the hip hop artist shows up, it's going to be some black people there. Period. Because we support black folks, but the people who are going to be out here getting, you know, white girl drunk and stuff and, and spending all their money and the tickets and bringing all their girlfriends is going to be white folks. It's going to be the college students that are coming folks. through. So you want to have, you want to have black entertainment there and you want to pay them For the sure. money. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you know, it's, I don't know that people really think about how triggered, I mean, how, um, that's not the word I'm trying to use, not triggered, but like knee jerk. Um, the reaction is when you when we've labeled it hip hop, we've labeled it rap, and we and we've labeled it you know um, all these things that just now deduce and and are are just equated to black culture, right? And the truth right. is, is that you know in black culture, as we know, that's such a sliver of black culture, right? I know it's, just, it's such <laughs> a sliver. Man, you know, um, and I mean, I'm proud of all the black artists who've paved oh, the way. Yeah. I mean, we we are it. The American music is black. You know Rich. what I mean. So uh, um so I mean all the way down to to the blues on up. American music, mm-hmm. you know, is black. So it's it's not something that I feel like I have to like. That's not for me something that I feel like I have to like argue on. But this is your this is your uh, entertainment. This is your work. This is your bread and butter. Day in the life is what you're creating. And that, it's interesting that something as I feel, and this might be just me not being in touch with the thing, I feel like it's like, damn, y'all don't know that? Like that's, black stuff is, black music is, we're we're talking about paying black artists? Like that, it's, right. still, we're still there? Like, you know what I mean? Right. And so it's, um, I mean, I guess it's not, it's not surprising to me because I have to argue my prices when I, when I, am um you know doing education work and it's like that you know i only do like two hours at a time and stuff like that but the price i have you know they're like some people like absolutely and some people like ooh, i don't know that seems a little high and i'm like it's not like i walk into the room and show up i there's all kinds of prep and and research and that that goes into explain that you shouldn't have to explain to them why this is how much it is. You you gonna know when you see me when I get in there. You like you know. said, I'm not. It's not like I'm just coming to just show up. I gotta do this. I gotta do that. I I. But that shouldn't even have to be said. Right. You look at the ticket. You know you got the budget for it. Pay the pay the woman or pay the man. <laughs> and, and let's move it. Okay. Don't people. you want a good a good. Right. Don't you want a good amount of this show? Pay the woman or pay the man and let's keep it moving. Don't that that right there. That's what always it, it jerks me like, oh, I, you know, that. Ooh, I, ooh. I, 
Um, you know, shout out to uh, Lola Buckwall. Shout out to Mia Multiply. And that's another thing I wanted to talk to you all about. Um, I'm working with an uh, artist. Uh, her name is Mia Multiply. She's all, uh, she's a registered nurse and also an author. Um, she uh, highlights books that are according to Hebrew laws and Hebrew upbringing. Um, but she also is a cook and chef. And she has books that highlight um, um, foods that are uh, have the background of vegan and vegetarian. Oh, yes, and she has a book. And I can send you that link. I'll send you that link. Uh, she just produced a book called the alternative, the alternative eatery cookbook, where she has all of these different types of foods that just are vegan, vegetarian, um, different recipes that can help you on um, just living a healthier lifestyle. So, you know, big shout out to me and multiplied and what she's doing and what we're working on for sure. Okay. Yeah. I just learned that I have to. I didn't just learn this, but I just learned that I don't have a choice. That I have to change like my diet, and my diet is yeah. so restrictive. I'm, I'm just like, dang. I, I mean, some of the stuff I really love that I cannot eat, my body just doesn't tolerate it. I mean, you know, 2020 showed me a lot about my body. You know what I mean? And a lot of people gained weight, and and uh, we just in our sorrow, in our chain. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I was the I. The biggest I've ever been in my life was through the quarantine, and now I'm starting to lose it again. But the the, the process of losing the weight again, I had to go back to my body and like look at my kidneys, look at my adrenal glands, like. And yep. when I, when yep. I'm looking at all those pieces, like it's like, oh sis, guess what? You can't eat. You can't eat no more rice. You can't have tomatoes, no onions. And I'm just like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What? Like, I, what yep. the hell do you eat if there's no tomatoes and onions involved? Like, I don't even understand, right? And so. It was like, I, no avocado, uh, I'm out, right? Yep. Like, I'm out. Yep. So, I, so I have had to learn how to eat in a way. So I'm very interested in what she's doing. So I, and I'm not, I'm not a cook, man. Look, I eat out. And so this is hard for me to try to like, you know, eat in a way that's responsible for my body. And so people who are doing cookbooks and stuff, <laughs> please send the links. And if you send the link to me, I will put it in the show notes. For anybody else who's out there trying to correct what happened in 2020, <laughs> trying to correct okay. what that was um, and bring it back together, I would love it. All those links. M5 has definitely been on my show before, um, and I would love to get to know Lola. I'm very touched that she reached out to do a portrait of me um, and be a part of the of the interviews that y'all are doing. I can't wait to do it. I can't wait to do it. So y'all keep an eye out for that. And when it does show up, I will definitely be... Um, promoting it so so um look out look for the show notes i will as soon as i have that together i will be adding them so perhaps i will put this up today show notes may not be there they are coming so just keep kind of checking back so um yeah with that being said trey i appreciate you i appreciate everything you're doing for the community i'm glad you're here um and i'm really really just happy that we got to sit down and and make this happen um, and of course, this is not the first time. Hopefully, that you'll be on my show. You're gonna, you're always welcome to come back. Oh yeah, I'm coming back. I'm, I'm coming back. I wanna, I wanna let people know uh, how, how things is moving and uh, how, how I can be able to just offer different opportunities for anybody outside of Eugene, in Eugene, you know, so that they can be able to come work with Dana Life Entertainment. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm willing to work. You know, if you hit me up, I'm willing to work. That's awesome. Thank you so much. All right, y'all. We are wrapping it out. That is Black Girl from Eugene. Peace. Stay on trail. Peace.